So I hear homeschooling is a growing trend in the last couple of days. I mean, years. Listen in to find out something. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Crystal. Hi, Catherine. Hi. We have our friend Catherine with us this evening. Catherine, would you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I just moved from the great state of Kansas, and now I live in Michigan with the Grubers. We're pretty excited about that. (laughs) Me too. Catherine was a teammate of ours, and we invited her to record a podcast with us because it's a fun thing that we do. And also, Catherine was homeschooled. Sure enough, all the way until college. And we're homeschooling. And so we've been thinking a lot about education lately because it's a thing that we think about when we make decisions. We like to overanalyze things, Joseph and I. My family likes to give me a bit of a hard time about it. But anyways. Wait, nobody gives us a hard time about anything. (laughs) About our overanalyzing every decision we make. Anyways, school. Joseph. I'd like to share a thought about education first, if I may. Please. So I think it was over this summer, I was on a C.S. Lewis kick. Uh, Our public library has access to a pretty extensive online catalog of audiobooks, including many by C.S. Lewis. And I was listening through a bunch of his nonfiction, collections of essays and lectures and the like. And I think it was in his collection called Education in History, where he talked about the difference between learning and education. For those who weren't here in the room, Crystal just nodded. (laughs) Um, And the the distinction between the two is is pretty mind-bending. He was talking about how education, uh, we could go into the etymology a little bit, you know, um, ducare is to lead. The A beginning means from, so to lead out, to lead from. Um, And the idea is that in education, we are being led out of darkness into light we were being led out of, um, yeah, you could use Plato's allegory of the cave. You could use other images as well, I'm sure. And the thing that's interesting about that to me is that you need somebody to lead you out, a.k.a. a teacher. Right. And then with learning, uh, so education is something that is uh, led from without to something larger. And then learning is something that is motivated from within. And the goal of education, or at least one of the goals of education, is to produce a learner, someone who is capable of actually extensive learning in various topics because they've got, been given all of the equipment they need, including uh, a sense of wonder. And so that one way to understand uh, how a school could be understood as good or bad is whether or not it's producing learners versus people who still are in need of education, still are in need of being um, led with their hands being held. Nothing against holding hands, right? Like with little kids, holding hands is the appropriate thing. For 20-year-olds, it's probably less appropriate. So then this leads us to think about what is a school when we, the, the idea of 
education versus learning for me has really been thought-provoking on what is the purpose of a school and if to educate somebody then that my hope for a school would be is that the teachers would be inspiring wonder and awe and that they would be very enthusiastic about excited and excited about the subjects that they're teaching mm-hmm. and that's I don't know I'm just thinking about my own education experience and so they were primarily my parents growing up and to a large extent still today but when they were very excited about learning something or about teaching it I was also very excited and also would approach it with a sense of wonder um like my mom was very excited about sewing and was always in awe of the fact that she could create something totally new using just scraps of fabric but she was not excited about cooking and so I adopted both of those mentalities of sewing is an exciting adventure we can create something new cooking is just mundane and we have to do it um quite fascinating and and that's an interesting thing thinking about my education going through public school and going through good public schools objectively speaking um in terms of today's objective standards for education I suppose um and, and the teachers that I had, I had a physics teacher that was very enthusiastic and loved to do experiments and show us things. And that was one of my favorite classes. You also had an amazing physics teacher, Joseph, if I recall correctly. We called him the god of physics. <laughs> yeah. May God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. And, and so realizing throughout my education, the years that I had enthusiastic teachers, they stand out in my mind. And I was a more, I received more about what I was supposed to learn in those classes. So this is, this leads us to another distinction that I think is really helpful when we're thinking about uh, the goal of education is to produce learners. Um, Because I think there are two ways to approach what a school is that are pretty revealing about what our culture is saying today about education. One is saying that the school is an institution primarily for the sake of the student, that it exists for the students within the building, and the students are the primary focus of the school. And so all of the attention is put on them, um, all the demands are upon them, and it's an interesting thing. And uh, there, there are elements to that that seem true and necessary. But another way to understand a school, uh, and this is something that a friend of mine taught me, um, and he was relying pretty heavily on the influence of a guy named John Sr., who uh, has written both The Death of Christian Culture and The Restoration of Christian Culture. Um, I recommend The Restoration of Christian Culture only because I haven't yet read The Death of Christian Culture. Um, but he, he talked about how schools properly understood are primarily not about students, that schools are primarily about the community of scholars who love truth and goodness and beauty and the pursuit of truth and goodness and beauty in a wonder-filled kind of uh, community. And those are known as the teachers. And the students exist because they come to the, stu- to the teachers either because they are attracted to them or because they are sent there to be exposed to their, uh, their approach to, to learning. And so uh, in that second kind of way of understanding a school, the whole point of students being there is so that they can catch whatever it is the teachers have. So something that just occurred to me is 
realizing something that I, I see often in myself and in other people, um, and especially when we're working with college students, is when there isn't a love for learning, then when I know at least I see in myself, I forget when I don't know something that I could learn it from somebody else. And I'm having to remind myself of this. So because I was brought up in an educational system that said, memorize these things, get this information in your brain. I didn't, I didn't learn, like I I mentioned earlier, I had teachers that inspired me to learn better than I did, but I didn't learn from them that I could pursue someone as a teacher. I find that fascinating because one of the things that I know about you, and I don't want to make this podcast all about us, but I know that when you were in high school thinking about a future career, and you were, were interested in becoming a prostatist. That's always a word that I pronounce with great diction. A prostatist. Prosthetist. No. Anyways. Really? I've been saying it wrong this whole time. <laughs> with okay. very poor diction, I say... <laughs> One of the life goals of my wife back in the day to was legs. to make prosthetics. Um, and you, in high school, pursued someone who, that was their job. They were one of the leading makers of prosthetics. I did do that. I got lucky about her being one of the leading people. I didn't know that. She was second in the yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, Crystal, you're talking about just having a growth mindset. Yes. So like the trait of a learner is one who says, I don't know that yet, but I can learn that. Mm-hmm. Were you talking about approaching people who have the knowledge because you see in them that love of that thing that you don't yet know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I definitely think that the having the growth mindset is is a piece of the puzzle. I think the thing that's occurring to me as we're talking, and I'm throwing things off because it's not in our notes, is that... I am realizing that, yeah, that that next step of saying, okay, I don't know this. I can know this. Somebody else does. And how can I get them to help me? And maybe this is part of why YouTube is so popular, right? Because you can like, you don't have to embarrass yourself by telling somebody that you don't know how to clean a bathroom. You can just watch a YouTube video and learn from an expert. Or podcasts or Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. But that there is something of the learner in there in in the social media platforms where we're where we're looking for somebody to educate us in in a particular way. At least I do that. Well, and maybe to clarify, like part of being a learner is to say I'm willing to go off into the unknown because mm-hmm. of the love of what is known. Like I won't need the the educator at that point if I can find someone to walk the road with me. All the better. Uh, and that's the stuff of great friendship, in fact. Um, but one of the effects of becoming more of a learner is to say, I'm willing to go into the unknown because I've been given the equipment to approach the unknown well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess maybe to to wrap it up a little is, are you saying that you still feel like you need an education or that you... S- you, you never really considered how attractive it was when people really loved truth? Yeah, I think I guess what I'm saying is in the areas where I realize I'm not ready to be a learner and I still need an education, I can seek teachers that are passionate about what they're teaching. Yeah, and that might be maybe a good point to, to go on to talking about the results orientation and how that plays into school. Yeah, so... 
this is something that I've reflected on a lot because growing up, I remember being homeschooled and simultaneously being an eight-year-old and writing in my journal, I hate school, and then the next day saying I loved learning about fill-in-the-blank thing Um, and realizing that school still has a lot of this connotation of I have to make these grades, I have to measure up somehow, pass, show that I'm good enough. Um, Whereas the curriculum, though, at least through what I was learning, um, we used Mother of Divine Grace curriculum, which I really loved. Um, The curriculum in itself was teaching me to to love learning. Um, I loved reading and going to the library and exploring outside and trying to figure out what kind of leaves were on the trees in our yard just for fun on a Saturday. Um, but the, the idea of school reminded me that, oh, wait, but I have to pass. I have to get a certain grade. Um, what if I'm not good enough? And that, that still existed even in my homeschool education, which is very interesting. And I took that with me to college. I love learning if only I didn't have tests and papers, that sort of thing. Yeah, one of the, the effects of saying the institution of the school is primarily about the student is that with that attention on the student comes also a level of scrutiny uh, and a degree of measuring that I think can kill uh, a child's passion. So we, we used the example as we were discussing this prior to recording um, that if I were to ask my son uh, about what he read for school, he struggles to actually relay anything about it and is sort of, I think, expecting an evaluative kind of approach from me and maybe I do bring that into the conversation it's hard to say Um, I don't well I try not to right I try to be the best possible dad at all possible times I think you do a pretty good job and what do you think Crystal (laughs) I like learning with you (laughs) you're doing great (laughs) but he and I read a book about Ant-Man and the next day he said daddy do you remember about Ant-Man and he said something about Ant-Man. And I don't remember exactly what it was, even though I know a fair bit about Ant-Man. Um, but he couldn't wait to remind me of the things that we had learned about because he is fascinated by Marvel superheroes. And he wants to learn more about that. Um, and to do that with him is a joy for him and clearly a joy for me because, who? well, I'm, I'll let you guys in on a secret podcast community that listens to this podcast. Uh, One day, I may create a podcast in which I go through all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe discussing the Christian themes. Or maybe I'll just write a blog, or maybe I'll write a book, or maybe this will just be the one time I bring it up in public. I like how you were looking off into the distance dreamily while you said that. I like how you clearly have a sense of wonder about the Marvel cinematic universe and it is clearly affecting our son because he knows all about it and won't stop talking about it okay but watching him talk about it his eyes literally light up he gets very animated and he wants to act it out and explain it and explore it more and when i watch him explain that i realize that is how we should be in learning about anything so for a little bit of context Whilst our daughter was seven weeks in the pediatric ICU of a hospital, uh, Philip and I played through the entirety, not, not exactly the entirety, all of the gameplay of 
Lego Marvel superheroes, the Xbox game. Twice. Twice. <laughs> and when we got home, we went into the basement and recreated the first level word for word <laughs> and played through it where Philip would fill in all of the dialogue of all of the characters as we played through and there would be the cutscenes because he absorbed everything about the game. Incredible, right? Somehow I'm not having quite the same impact on adding and subtracting and letter writing. The adding and subtracting, I think we picked the wrong curriculum. We can work on that. Now we know. Okay, so this is also an interesting tie-in to what we wanted to talk about and gave the name of this podcast around is the domestic church is also, or at least can be, a domestic school. We made it to the topic title thing. (laughs) Yeah, so essentially, if, if a school is primarily an institution where those who are learners continue to learn in a place, in a context where those who are not yet learners can can become so through the process of education and exposure. Um, that, that is certainly what a family can be. So if we love truth together and we provide a space in which our children can experience that, that does make the home, the domestic church, also into a domestic school. Whether or not we would send our child to a brick-and-mortar school, um, fundamentally, our home can be a school. Well, And this is interesting in light of your comment, Catherine, about cooking versus sewing and that you know regardless of whether or not you were homeschooled you probably still would have gotten that right from your parents or I'm just thinking about especially by the time I got to college I had a deep love of the faith um, which only grew after that point but it was very important to my parents to raise us up to, to to raise the whole family not only just going to Sunday mass but celebrating the liturgical calendar at home by learning about the saint for that day, we would read a story about the saint before breakfast every morning and do crafts or like appropriately themed food for whichever the saint was for that day. And I remember really getting excited about the fact that, oh, who's saint, who, who, you know, which saint is this week or who do we get to learn about today? And that had nothing to do with trying to make a grade or, um, but it was just because my parents found it really important and they were curious and wanting to learn and learning along with us. And so I don't know if all of my siblings had quite the same enthusiasm, but many of my siblings share that with me. And that's something you you carry with you. I remember when you lived with us when we were teammates and um, other times that we spent time with you, that you do call that to attention. And even now on the eve of the Feast of St. Joseph, <laughs> reminding us to <laughs> ring it in. <laughs> we do record well before we post. Just in case anyone is confused. <laughs> we'll see when, when it gets posted. Maybe it'll get posted on the Feast of St. Joseph. We'll see. Not on the eve. I'm not staying up that no. late. No, no, no. no. It won't get posted tonight. But it's interesting to hear you highlight that that's something that was, quote, taught in, in your home. And that that's something that you were educated well in such that you've continued to be a learner. And it's something that you share wherever you go. Well, and something that I think, too, I'm just realizing right now is neither of my parents really knew much about living the Catholic life outside of going to Sunday Mass and saying particular prayers. They were literally learning as they were teaching us. And so it wasn't that they were super well educated in it. It was that they desired to learn. And 
had that wonder. And so that was real. I always really important for my mom. The day she realized she could teach me Latin without knowing Latin, mm. simply because she desired to learn as well and had good curriculum. But you don't have to know all about it necessarily in order to be able to instill that wonder. Yeah, and that's something that I've been. I mean, part of with us, me wrestling with. I love math, and and so I've been feeling frustrated by the math curriculum that I've been using, not because it's necessarily a bad curriculum, but because I feel like it's holding me back from expressing my love for math in the way that I want to. And so um, doing some research and choosing something different to try so that I can communicate more clearly and realizing I don't know it as much as I love math. Like I'm not trained as a math teacher. I don't know well, well enough to make something up on my own, but I do love it enough to figure out a way to teach it in a way that I can show enthusiasm instead of frustration. I think it's good to come back then more broadly to talk about how the love of the thing is the motivating impulse and the family being a, a family bonded by love and motivated by love in its exploration of the truth. Uh, It reminds me this isn't quite, it's familial in, in a sense. Crystal and I recently read East of Eden by John Steinbeck, and there's an amazing uh, little narrative piece where one of the characters, Lee, goes to like the heads of his family. He's a Chinese man in uh, California, and he goes to these very old, very wise, very apathetic men, and he brings to them uh, a question, and they're like, we see the truth in the question and the love of that question is going to cause us to to learn more. And it was a question specifically about Genesis chapter 4. And they're like, well, if we really want to know it, we're going to have to learn Hebrew. And so these very old Chinese men approached a Jewish rabbi and procured uh, children's syllabi for how to learn Hebrew and taught themselves Hebrew um, so that they could answer the question that they loved so much. They were like, there is so much goodness in this question. We can't not keep going to find the answer. And we had done a podcast a long time ago about the difference between curiosity, which in the technical sense is the hatred of not knowing, and studiousness, which is the love of some truth that propels us on to more truth. And to know, like, if we love truth, we will be motivated to continue our pursuit of more truth. There's always more. The The ocean is ever uh, widening and ever deepening before us. Um, and I think that's a good note to have because it's not like, oh, I hate that I don't know Latin. It's, no, I, I, I think I love the Latin that I've heard, carpe diem. Who doesn't love that phrase? <laughs> uh, that's literally the first and only Latin <laughs> phrase that came to mind. And I took three years of Latin in high school and a year in college. That's moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Incredible. But this approach to truth that I think is also good to note, it's not a consumerist approach to truth where we say I'm going to just absorb as much data for the sake of absorbing data. It's also not a domineering approach to truth that we're proposing. Um, Apparently, Francis Bacon, who's like hailed as one of the founders of modern science, had some sort of a quote, and I I want to be fair to him. But I think it was basically talking about how 
uh, Mother Nature is essentially a woman that he is going to have his way with. Um, and that's how he approached science, is he was going to uh, conquer and own and possess truth. And that approach to, to the pursuit of knowledge is one that we're not advocating. We're, we're advocating a position of love, which is also receptive, which is also wonder-filled. Um, and that's different than saying, I am going to possess Latin. It's more, I want to experience Latin. I want to go deeper into that experience. And I want to respect Latin for what it is. Um, or pick any of the sciences, any of the topics, any of the fields of study, and to say, um, I want to receive what this is that I may be filled with even more wonder. You know, education should not kill wonder in us. And if that, this is a question to ask about our own educational experience, which you guys reflected on, and I'm not going to because nobody really wants to know that. <laughs> uh, but but when when education kills wonder and when education stunts continuing learning along particular lines, we, we can say there was something a little bit off about that. There was something in that approach that did not produce in me someone who desired to be a learner in that particular field. Uh, and that's a sad thing to recognize, but it's not a hopeless thing, right? It's not, it's not saying, oh, well, I haven't learned it yet, therefore I cannot. It's, it's saying, I have not yet learned. Perhaps I'll, I need education, or perhaps I do have the tools from learning other things to continue on. So this is somewhere where I feel like I've recently been more and more thinking about areas I want to grow in and, and looking for somebody who knows it and is excited about it and asking them questions and learning from them. Um, so that's something that, that anybody can do on their own. Is there a way that one, because just, I mean, I'm thinking about for my own sake, figuring out how to undo areas of where there is a lack of wonder in my son and also realizing where at least right now at the time of recording there are lots of people that are homeschooling their children that did not opt in for that choice um, and and maybe discovering areas where their their children don't have a love for something that they would like them to. Is there a way to inspire wonder when it's been sort of squelched a little bit in a kiddo? or in, in an adult, for that matter, in myself. As you both have been talking, I've been thinking you, you use the words receptive and wonder-filled, mm -hmm. and I immediately thought of a small baby. Like, that's the attitude they have about everything. And so I was honestly just doing this self-reflection of, like, is that the attitude that I have about life? And in some areas I do, and in many I don't. It has been squelched, like you're saying, and I was just pondering that question for myself and realizing I just have to imagine myself as that young baby again. I'm really imaginative, so that image-based things really help me. But just think about, well, when was a time when I did have that wonder? Or, or if I don't remember, is there a small child that I can kind of um, interact with or observe and realize, oh, that's the attitude that I would like to have or can have or, and probably once did have. How can I be like that small child? And one of the things we might notice about a very small child is that there is no fear of failure in, in the smallest of children. Uh, I love telling this story, so I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I can remember our firstborn son 
and me getting on the floor in front of him as he's on his belly as a small baby and desiring him to crawl and watching him as he lifts his arms and legs up off the ground and his head off the ground doing what I think is called a Superman pose, which is meaning essentially all of his limbs are doing the opposite of what would need to happen for crawling. And like he didn't care that he wasn't yet doing the thing that I wanted him to do. He didn't know that I was evaluating him critically and judging him. <laughs> uh, he knew that he was exploring the limitations of his body and feeling out his muscles in a way that was developmentally appropriate and in a way that was actually going to better prepare him for crawling. And had he skipped that step and it had been short-circuited, like if I had started manipulating his limbs uh, such that uh, he was in a crawling position... And maybe I did that a time or two. It's hard to say. <laughs> Very little photographic evidence, I'm sure. Um, that that something would have been lost in the experience. Um, because he wasn't worried about uh, getting it right. He wasn't worried either. He was just learning what his body was about. Um, and, and I think that, that one of the things that does stultify people is uh, this fear of being judged and found wanting, or this discomfort from being observed in general. Like, I, I don't like watching, I don't like having people watch me do certain things. I, I'd rather go off in a corner to write. I don't want people to be watching me write. Uh, why? Because I'm self-conscious. Why am I self-conscious? Because I think I'll be judged. Why do I not want to be judged? Because I don't want to be found wanting. Um, and that's a scary thing when the school is all about the student then the student is going to be judged. Um, when it's about truth and goodness and beauty and about bringing together people who really do love those things and then letting other people be exposed to that and be breathing in the atmosphere of that, then something a little bit more healthy might come about. And clearly, we, we are not educational experts. Maybe I should have begun the podcast with that. Maybe. Maybe. We're not child development experts either. Nor are we experts in most things, but I've been delighted in learning more, more about learning and education. And as Crystal has been helming the project of homeschooling our son, uh, watching her learn about these things and discussing them with her has been quite delightful because it's revealing so many different things about uh, how the human mind operates and how our son operates in particular. So both the general trend of education and the specifics of our son. It's just eye-opening um, and also opening up a whole different side to my wife that I otherwise never would have seen. So it's a wonderful opportunity I have found thus far. I'm really grateful. Yeah, and it's, I think I have had an increase in wonder as I've been teaching and, and really pretty minimal in preparation thus far on my part, which is helpful. But I'm also realizing the more I do, the more I want to do more preparation because I am getting more excited and having more wonder. And hopefully that's the thing that will help create more of a shift as well in my little learners. Yeah, because I'm definitely not an expert in early childhood education. I think that's something that I've struggled with in motherhood is watching my friends who, who have learned that and realizing, oh, I'm not, and watching their wonder in their study and learning of their own kids is really inspiring. But you don't 
But do you know what you are? Wonderful. Uh, uh, <laughs> I went there. Dad jokes. That wasn't a dad joke. It was true. It was a compliment toward that my too. wife. <laughs> that was fitting and um, You don't topical. want to be accused of dad jokes. No. no. Catherine, would you like to pray us out tonight? Oh, before you do. Before you do. Oh, yes. Oh, hey, if you like this podcast, share it. <laughs> Apparently that's helpful. We'd like, we'd like. <laughs> you can share the podcast. You can rate the podcast. You can write a re- review of the podcast. You can go on several different podcast applications and rate and review. <laughs> All right. Great. Let's end in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. God, we thank you for the gift of this time and this space. Of these people and for all of our listeners, Lord, thank you for the gift of education and the gift of learning. Thank you for creating us with a desire to learn. Thank you for instilling in us wonder at your goodness, your truth, and your beauty. I ask that you allow us, um, allow this podcast and this time to really invite us to reflect more deeply on how you are inviting us to adopt a sense of learning, an attitude of wonder and receptivity in our own lives. We ask that this podcast may be for your glory and for the salvation of souls. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take my hand, let's be on our way. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 